Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am so grateful you are here today. I cannot believe that we are only seven episodes away from 100 episodes. It's incredible. Thank you for being here with me week after week and supporting the podcast. I would love it if you would share the podcast with a friend, tell them about it, make sure you're subscribed. And thank you to everyone who has left a review. I am eternally grateful. So I hope you're getting prepared for the holidays. Hopefully, if you celebrate Hanukkah, you had a great Hanukkah. And as we wind down to the end of the year, a lot of people are doing evaluations. They're evaluating how their year was, uh, both personally and professionally. And because of COVID, what Lori Tab and myself, my business partner, have found is so many people during COVID have reevaluated their careers. Am I doing the work I love? Am I doing it for a company or a boss that has meaning and purpose to me? Is my work meaningful? Am I jumping out of bed every morning because I want to or because I have to? And people have really been evaluating their careers and evaluating if they want to keep going on the same treadmill or hamster wheel that they've been on. And a lot of people have made the decision to completely change that. We've heard about their great resignation, people leaving the workforce in droves to either reevaluate or to open up their own companies because they just feel like they're not doing meaningful and purposeful work for whomever they were working for. And this has created a labor market unlike anything we've ever seen before. Companies are having such a hard time finding talent because I think for once, employers are having to earn talent. So there's so much going on. I know so many of my coaching clients are in transition or looking to transition And if you are looking to transition and you're not quite sure what's next, I have to tell you, our Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab is absolutely what you need to do for yourself. We have a new cohort starting January 13th. It's 12 weeks. By the end of it, you will have complete clarity about what's next for you. So feel free to reach out to me at natalie at corecreationcoaching.com. Get in touch or DM me on Instagram. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. And if you do have clarity for yourself and you're looking to interview or you're in the process of interviewing or you're an organization looking for top talent, I can't wait to introduce you to my next guest, Amanda Scott. Amanda is a recruiter and recruiting consultant who focuses in on hiring key employees for key roles within companies. And she is fantastic at what she does. I call her the recruiter with heart because she makes sure that the people that she's placing, that their values align with the company's values. And what I also love about her is she will not work with companies that don't meet her value requirements. So she says no to some companies because they're either just not good organizations or they don't reflect the kind of companies that she would feel good about placing someone in. 
So not only do I love everything that Amanda stands for, but she has so many great insights about today's job market. So let's dive into my conversation with Amanda Scott. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. So glad you are here with me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, one of the reasons why I had you on is because I believe you have so many insights to share. And the talent market is crazy right now, unlike anything we've ever seen before. So I definitely wanted to have you on to talk about your expertise, what you're seeing. Um, So we'd love for you to start just by sharing a little bit about yourself and your career history. Okay, sure. So I've been a recruiter for my entire 20-year career, and it was a deliberate choice. I think a lot of people get into external recruiting sort of on accident. They might go into an industry that interests them, or um, you know, they, they just hear about it and hear that it's an interesting opportunity and get into it. I don't know many people that say, when I grow up, I want to be a recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite that deliberate with me, but growing up, I had an uncle that was an executive headhunter in the Bay Area. Um, and then when I got to college, I had a number of sorority sisters that once they graduated had gone on into the staffing industry. And so throughout college, during summer breaks and winter breaks, they were quite long at San Diego State. I would work as a temp through the women from my sorority and they would help me find jobs that were in human resources. It was kind of interesting to me. And so I'd work as a human resources assistant and it sort of opened my eyes to what a career in HR could be. Now I'm not an HR professional. My background is fully recruiting, but it Recruiting is a function of HR, certainly. So then after college, after a year of considering becoming a professor, I said, no, I, uh, the academic world is not for me. I'd like to be in business. I really would like to be a recruiter. I love connecting with people. Even as a teenager, I used to connect people, not necessarily, you know, love matches, but you know, you really should meet my neighbor or have you talked to this person? And so it was kind of a natural progression for me and my personality And so I started working for a large national firm that supported one company. That company was Sony Electronics in San Diego. It was their national or uh, North American headquarter, I should say. And we had thousands of employees. My temporary staffing firm had 800 temps at a time at Sony. Wow. Variety of professions, everything from assembly workers all the way up to executive VPs. So I got a really broad recruiting experience there and recruited all types of positions. And I also got really great exposure to manufacturing. And then after a few years there, I went and worked at a boutique firm focused on corporate accounting and financial recruiting, where I really sunk my teeth into working with a variety of different companies on different requirements. When I was there, I realized I love this function 
of my profession. I love that I can help companies hire the right people. I love that I can help people get into new positions that advance their careers, improve their livelihood. But working even at this small firm that had the best intentions, I always had a boss, actually two bosses, standing over my shoulder saying, make more placements, make more placements. And I think Mm. a lot of recruiters get sort of a bad reputation. I don't think recruiters are bad people, but they have a boss standing over their shoulder saying, make more sales. They start to think of the placement as a sale, not as what it is, which is this very human transaction that's really big. It's a huge, there's a huge impact when someone changes jobs on them personally, on the company that they go to. And so I knew pretty early on in my career that I was going to need to go out on my own to do things the right way. So finally in, in the year 2010, I took the leap and I started Solution Harbor and I had the purest intentions to really connect with companies that I feel good about that I feel a connection to that I know it sounds so simple, but you know, are there executives ownership, whoever I'm working with, are they kind? (laughs) Do they care about their employees? Um, And then of course, is there a product or service? Is it something that I'm comfortable with? You know, I'm really into yoga and meditation and I'm mostly a plant-based eater and I love to read and all those kind of things. Now, is everyone I work with going to be a vegan you know, yoga loving medi- meditator, of course not. But um, you know, good, kind people that care about their employees. That's really what's important to me. And then, you know, it's about making the right matches. It's about really communicating with the company about what they need to hire, about communicating with the candidate about what they want in their career and personally, and figuring out is this the right fit. I never pressure anyone into making a decision. If anything, I talk people out of it because I'd rather not make a placement than make the wrong one. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really fortunate that my process, I think, works. You know, over the course of my 20-year career, uh, all recruiters have what's called a replacement guarantee. So basically, in the first however long you set up the guarantee for, if the employee quits or is fired for performance issues, then the recruiter is responsible for finding a replacement. So you essentially have to do your search all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never once had to do that. So I make lasting placements and I love what I do. You know, I really, it aligns with who I am as a person. And I think I'm providing a service, (laughs) a service that today more than ever is really needed. So. Absolutely. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing that. And one thing that you exude and also comes very clearly in what you just shared is your alignment to your core values and how you really are living that out through your work. And I absolutely love that. I think it's so important. And I also think it's really important for candidates to think about where their values align with companies. And so for you to be a guide in that process by living it out yourself and making sure that you're you're doing good placements with good companies is so valuable. And I think it's what differentiates you from a lot of other recruiters, which is why I'm so glad you're on the show today. And so thank you for sharing your journey because I think it says so much about who you are that you you know, you took the risk to go out on your own because you wanted to do it the right way. 
And that really says something. And the fact that, you know, no one's had to take you up on a replacement guarantee because you are taking the time and and making the effort to make sure that those placements are quality placements for both the individual and the organization. You know, there is so much going on with the talent market right now. And what I find with my coaching clients, you know, I coach both on the individual side and then I am also working with organizations. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about both today. But like I said, the, the market is unprecedented right now with what's happening. And what do you see are like, what do you, what insights do you have about the job market right now? So um, I want to point out the positions that I work on are management to C level. So I know there's a lot of news of there's people unemployed and there's all these hiring shortages and things like that. At my, the level that I work out, the people that I am recruiting, they're working, they're gainfully employed. And I think a lot of people at that level, they have some loyalty. There's a lot of different things going on. Here's one of the things. So these people have a lot of loyalty to their employers because they survived the last 18 months. We've had a pandemic. There's been DEI issues. There's been chaos in a variety of different ways in our country and the world. And people know what they have. And they, you know, most employers at that management to executive level, they've given them some flexibility, they've been caring. And so I think the employees have some loyalty to their employers. So it's harder to get people to listen to me about job opportunities. Passive candidates Mm. are not as apt to listen to me. It used to be I would have about, if I reached out to 50 qualified candidates for a particular job, half of those candidates would at least want to have a phone call with me. Now I would say it's maybe 10%. So it's far really? less people are even open to talking to me. So that's an issue. Another issue is we still have a lot of boomers retiring. And people in my generation, Gen X, we didn't, I don't have children and a lot of my friends don't. A lot of us did not have kids. And if we did, they would be 22, 23, 24, they'd be entering the workforce. So we have a shrinking workforce in the US. Mm -hmm. There's also an issue. The vast majority of positions I've worked on in the last year and a half have been newly created jobs. So these are not replacements for someone who's left. They're my company is growing, the CEO, owner, operator, typically, my company is growing, we need to add someone in human resources, operations, or finance. Now, we have a shrinking workforce, and we're adding jobs. So <laughs> there's a deficit <laughs> there. That's an issue. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things that I'm facing. And then, you know, of course, with the pandemic, I hate to be morbid, but people have died. That's shrunk our workforce. There's people that have long-term effects from the pandemic. There's people that are taking care of relatives from the pandemic. Like the pandemic is an issue <laughs> in itself um, that has, I think, shrunk the workforce also. Then, so once I do identify candidates for an opportunity, my job is not done. There's still a lot of risks. So we have had a handful of candidates who have gotten counter offers. So they've gone through the interview process with my client. They're all excited. Uh, they get a great offer from my client. They go to resign and their boss says, oh my gosh, please don't leave. I'll give you whatever you want. Yep. And so that's an issue. Um 
Now, I mentioned that I've been in the recruiting world for 20 years. I do have to say salaries across all levels, except maybe, you know, really entry level kind of minimum wage jobs, minimum wage. When I worked at Sony, it was $8 an hour. So that has obviously gone up. But for accounting and, you know, human resources and management positions, I feel that salary levels have not increased that much in 20 years. So, and of course, we're hearing about inflation and the cost of housing has gone up. The cost of everything has gone up over the last 20 years. And I don't think that salaries have quite caught up to that. And so there is an adjustment that's happening right now, which I 100% am on board with. I think that we need to adjust. People need to make more money to afford the world that we live in. Now, having said that, there are some people who I think their bosses are afraid to lose them. And so they're overpaying. So I have talked to some candidates about opportunities. And when I ask, what are you targeting for your compensation? And they tell me, well, I'm making X. And so I need a bit more. What they're making is already above what I think market is. So there's some Mm. people that are being overpaid because their bosses are afraid to lose them. And so how can, you know, I typically work with companies that have 20 to 200 employees. Most of my clients, I would say are 50 to hundred employees. They just can't compete. Like where are they supposed to come up with that kind of money? Especially if there's, you know, equality issues across certain levels, people have to be paid relatively the same amount. You can't you know, if you have three project managers and they're all making 140 grand, you can't bring in a new project manager and pay them 170. That just doesn't work. So that's been an issue too. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for management to executive level employees right now. I think it's probably hard to figure out where those jobs are, but they are there. Every recruiter that I, I have quite a few that work on different professions that I'm friendly with and do uh, cross-referring to, we're all so busy. In fact, one of my favorite recruiters said to me the other day, are you having a hard time even finding someone with a pulse? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I couldn't have said it better. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think if you're, I I can't comment as much on lower level positions. I don't really understand everything that's happening in that workplace. But from manager to C-level, if you have good experience and you have a good work history, there are opportunities out there for you right now, for sure. Yeah. Well, it, it's so funny that you said that about a pulse because I, I just spoke to a business owner last week and we were talking about recruiting and talent management. And I said, well, what are your requirements? He goes, if they can fog up a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it it's tough. It's, it's tough on companies right now because they are searching for quality candidates. And like you said, I think there is some loyalty. I, I agree with you on that part. I'm you know, probably just the clientele that I am receiving are people that have really used COVID as a powerful pause. Um, Most of my clients are women. And COVID has changed things for women. It's made them realize that they don't have to be on the hamster wheel. They don't have to be traveling as much. I think it's made people a lot of times realize that life is short. And it's maybe it's too short to be doing something I really don't love. So what specific advice do you have for someone who is looking to absolutely change industries and and totally make a career transition? Hmm. 
So let me, if I could answer that kind of backwards. So I think that if you're an employer looking to hire someone, you should come up. I think there's two equal parts to the puzzle. One is, does this person have the right skill set? And two is, does this person fit culturally, personality-wise? Do we have the right career growth, lifestyle, et cetera, for this person? So all the sort of, I hate to say this, I don't like the word, the term, but touchy-feely stuff, is that all a good fit? And if you're an employee looking for a new role, I think you should come up with the same for my employers, when they're doing interviews, I have them come up with five of each, five qualities for each. And I, I tell my candidates to do the same thing before they go to an interview. What are the five things you want professionally from your job and five things you want personally from your job? And I ask Mike, I ask candidates when I'm interviewing, what are the most five most important things to you? What is going to make you consider a new opportunity? And so... Um, Changing industries, depending on what level your background is, can be tricky. You know, if you're a C-level at a biotech company, it's going to be difficult for you to go to a food manufacturing company, for example. I, I don't want to say that it's impossible. I just I think that, that there are some challenges. The higher level you are, the more you, you know, the companies are very particular these days about wanting someone that has similar industry experience. So... But I think if you can reverse engineer it and think about, you know, what are the five professional things and five personal things I want out of this job and choosing the industry or job based on that stuff, you know, I think if it generally aligns with your background, it shouldn't be impossible. I think these days the best way, and you maybe were going to ask me this, so I'll answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think some of the best ways for candidates to to look for a new position, regardless if they're changing industries or not, is first get really clear about what you want. And then come up with a list of 25 to 30 companies that have what you want. Whether they have openings or not, come up with 25 or 30, or I think 25 to 50 companies is a good idea. And then really use your own network. You know, make sure that your LinkedIn profile is updated. And connect with everyone that you've ever worked with. Have virtual coffee with people that you've worked with in the past. Tell them what you're trying to do. I I don't 100% believe in the law of attraction because I have a hard time believing that people attract illness and things like that. But I do believe what you put out into the universe, you're going to get back. So if you are spending time on your job search, telling people in your network, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is why I think it's a good fit for me. And you keep saying that over and over and over and over. I think it will come back to you. Someone in your network is going to connect you with someone that's going to get you to the right opportunity. If you spend time on LinkedIn and seeing, you know, LinkedIn is the most powerful recruiting tool of 2021. And I would assume ongoing for at least the next next decade, you know, use LinkedIn to see who's connected to who at this company. I'm really interested in this company. Do I know anyone there? Is there anyone that can connect me with someone? And then of course you want to set up a job. So there's all different kinds of job posting sites. There's Indeed and LinkedIn and individual companies. You can set up alerts. You can use Google alerts to set up when those companies are those companies that you're targeting or advertising jobs that could be a good fit. 
So I really think, again, getting clear about what you want and then putting that out into the universe. Listen, in your history, if you've if you've decided that you want to change kind of the scope of what you're working on or going into a different industry, don't make your LinkedIn profile be about what you were doing before. <laughs> mm. So not to say I want you to lie, I don't want you to lie, but use terminology that is geared towards what you're targeting. If in the past you had to, I don't know, do performance reviews and you hate doing performance reviews, don't write a paragraph about performance reviews on your LinkedIn. Write a paragraph about whatever it is, whatever tasks that you're really keen to work on. So again, this all starts with getting clear about what you want and then Everything you put out, whether it's your LinkedIn, your resume, these conversations that you have with people within your network, focus on what you want, not one on not everything that you've done. Focus on what you're trying to work on. Absolutely, Amanda. That's such sage advice. And I'm so glad you brought it up. One of these things I espouse to my uh, coaching clients is just that the power of networking. And I know it was something for me in my career, I really didn't pay that much attention to while I was in my job because I was just paying attention to my existing job. And I think so often we forget about the power of our network. Um, One thing I notice specifically is men traditionally don't have any problem getting on the phone, looking at a LinkedIn connection and saying, hey, I've identified I want to go work for an impact-driven social justice company like Patagonia. And I see I have two connections there. Women have a hard time sometimes asking for an introduction. So I really empower and encourage women. If you know someone there, don't hesitate to reach out. Don't hesitate to ask for an introduction. And when you're setting up those coffee chats, don't be afraid to say, hey, I see you have a connection here. Or if this connection isn't working out and not gaining you know, any fruit. Do you have one or two other people knowing what I shared with you today that you might be able to introduce me to that could help me you know, further understand or gain some clarity or might be able to help me in the same direction that I'm looking to go? And I think women sometimes have a hard time doing that. Has that been your experience? Yeah, it has. And I know... I know a handful of men that were candidates, not necessarily friends or colleagues, but candidates that I was working with on opportunities. And maybe I had them interview with a client. They literally got jobs because they were networking and they asked, who else, who can you introduce me to? How can I get connected? And, you know, I've had, I've literally had men, I've never had this happen with a woman. I've had men get an informational interview with a company and they sit down with the CEO or whomever, and the CEO invites them in and says, you know, I'm happy to talk with you, but we don't have a position appropriate for you. But then they go in and they have a great conversation and the CEO goes, you know, I might actually have something for you. And so, yes, I, I'm sad to say I've never had a woman tell me that kind of a story. And I can think of four or five different men that have told me that type of a story. So I mean, I'm glad that you empower your your clients to do that. I I think, you know, we have nothing to lose. Asking yeah. can be uncomfortable, but the worst they can say is no. The best they can say is yes, I do have someone that's going to be a good introduction for you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I'm glad you bring up that example because I had a female friend who was in tech 
And she asked for an informational interview with, uh, I think it was the CEO or CTO of a company that she really wanted to work for. And they said exactly the same thing. We don't have any positions available for you. She said, that's okay. I just want the, I just want to sit down and have a coffee chat with you. They were so wowed by her and her experience and her capabilities. They designed a position for her. And I think, you know, alluding to what you're saying is what I've experienced is women, we follow the rules. So if we don't meet all the job description qualities, then we don't apply. If there's not an official job opening, we won't go forward with the coffee chat. But exactly what you're saying is there's opportunities to be creative and for people to just get to know us, understand our experience, and then opportunities can be developed through that. So thank you for sharing that because I I think it's just another um, plug for women to continue to, what I hear you say, get really clear on what they want and what's important to them, both professionally and personally. And I think that personal side and making sure it's a a good fit culturally and it fits in alignment with your values is so important and sometimes often overlooked Mm -hmm. Um, and not being afraid to ask for what you want. Yeah. So, so too important, you know, really important things. I know for a lot of women during COVID, women left the workforce in droves. They're starting to come back, but there are women that are listening that have a gap now on their resume. What advice do you have for them? Because I know some women are concerned about that. Yeah, they just need to be really honest about it. I think if there's a hiring manager that can't understand why a woman would have had to take a year off during everything that's gone on recently, <laughs> I wouldn't want to work for that person. Um, so I think they just need to be really honest. Also, when you're in an interview, if you have something negative to address, a good interview interviewer should ask you, questions about negative situations. How did you deal with that? What did you learn? How did that make you feel? Why do you have this gap in your <laughs> resume? The, the mistake I see people make, and it's usually women, when they answer those hard questions is they go on and on and on. The number one complaint I have from my clients when they interview candidates is that guy or gal spoke so much. I asked him what time it was. He told me how to build a watch especially bad when you're doing it about something negative. It makes it appear like you're trying to hide something or cover up and you're like grasping at straws. So if someone has a gap due to COVID, come up with an answer and stand in front of the mirror and practice it over and over and over and over what you're going to say. I took a year off. It was COVID. I needed to spend time with my children. Period. Done. (laughs) Go on and on and on and make it weird. So again, I think that there's going to be a lot of people with a gap over the last year and a half. I have to tell you a funny story about that. It was a man, but I had um, I had a client that was looking to hire someone. We were hiring, interviewing men and women. And one of the men that my client interviewed had a year gap. And he stopped working because he had been working for a restaurant chain that could not... It was uh, one of those kind of where you barbecue your own food. So they couldn't mm-hmm. really do takeout. And so this entire restaurant chain basically had to shut down. It was really sad. And this person was laid off. And so he decided to, he was a single father. He decided to spend time with his kids for a year. And he did. Mm-hmm. They went swimming. 
They read books together. He spent more time with his kids than he ever had. And then after a year, he said, I was ready. To, I'm ready to go back. Well, my client interviewed him and asked about that. And he did not like that answer. And I have to tell you, I decided to stop working with the client after that interview. I just thought that doesn't align. Uh, you know, the client had children of his own. I just couldn't understand how he couldn't see that as a reasonable thing. And I have to sure. wonder if it had been a woman who said, I decided I wanted to spend a year with my kids. Would How would he have thought of that? So, um, yeah, I, again, I wouldn't want to work for someone who couldn't understand that. So, yeah. Well, kudos to you, Amanda, for again, sticking by your values. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, I think it would be interesting if it, if it would have been a woman in that position, how he would have felt about it. So regardless, not the right fit. And I think sometimes as women, you know, it's kind of like dating all of a sudden, you know, you, you meet the wrong person. This guy was obviously the wrong person. And then you don't get hired. You're like, well, what's wrong with me? (laughs) And I think women do that so often. It's like, it wasn't a right fit. It wasn't the right place for you to be. It has nothing to do with you. You're making a, a, a choice. And I love to see women be more firm in that just was not a right fit for me and not personalize that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And, you know, maybe that man wouldn't have been happy at that company. Um, You know, maybe the CEO wouldn't have valued when he said, I need to go because my children need to get to softball practice or whatever it is. It would not have been a good long-term fit. So I agree. It's not personal. And if someone doesn't choose you, you wouldn't choose them. I, I often compare it to dating because it needs, there needs to be two parties that come together and not only say, this is a good professional fit, but I like you and I want to work with you. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of being politically correct and doing things legally, I think some of that has removed the, do we like this person? Do I like this employer? Can I see myself enjoying a meal with them? In fact, I recommend to all of my clients that the final interview be a lunch, a dinner, a happy hour, a coffee, something away from the office that is totally informal, purely to see can we all get along? Can we enjoy a meal together? I love that idea, Amanda. I think that's such great advice. And I'm also curious because I just was having this conversation with a coaching client last week. What are key questions that, you know, often we know how to prepare for the questions that are going to be asked for us going into those C-suite level positions. But what are the questions that are important for us to ask if we're going into for a C-suite interview of the employer? Well, I think you should reverse engineer questions to uncover the things that you come up with that are important to you. Um, so, you know, if work-life balance is important, ask, well, what is your work-life balance like? Do you ever get to take a vacation? Or if you don't want to ask it like that, you could just say, when was the last time you took a vacation? <laughs> and was it an actual vacation or were you working? I would ask questions about who has been successful here. What's the profile of people that have been successful at your company and why? I would ask, who? tell me about the last two people that you guys let go and what was the reason that you let them go? That's a great question. I would ask, why do you, well, if they're not the owner of the company, I would ask, why do you enjoy working here? 
I would come up with questions that you can ask more than one person. Hopefully over the course of your interview process, you get to meet at least two or three people. I would ask them, you want to be careful not to ask 15 of the same questions of all three of them, but I would ask the same, figure out what those questions are. Maybe it is, when was the last time you took a vacation? Ask all three because you'll start to see a pattern. Hopefully it's the same pattern. Right. I would ask questions like, what do you think is the long-term goal of the company? Or what are, you know, some of the things that you'd like to see happen over the next five to 10 years? I I think adding some timelines into some of your questions is a good idea too. If you said that to someone and they're like, five or 10 years, I'm not going to be here for more than another year. Oh, well, why not? If you're you have to be careful when you're interviewing with the owner. You have to be a little bit more diplomatic. But if you're interviewing with employees, you know, what are some of your challenges working here? What are some of the things that you don't like? I hope that that those are some good. I know. I think that's great. I think those are all really, really great questions. And like I said, I love your advice around find out what's important to you and then reverse engineer the questions in a way that can maybe seem very casual, but you're still getting the answers to what's important to you. So not, you know, you're, you're taking what's on the job description, but you're also getting the, the sub, the subtext, right? right? And the important, the important stuff around cultural fit. What do you think is important for women in particular to know right now? I think that women and men are in a really good position right now, if they're a candidate, <laughs> I feel, Mm -hmm. to be honest, I feel terrible for employers. This is a really hard time to be an employer. There is so much going on that employers have to deal with. CEOs today are dealing with a lot more than they did 30 years ago, (laughs) even three years ago. Yeah, absolutely. But as a potential employee, you have the power. You have so much more power than you used to. Well, you've always had power, but you have extra power right now because employers are frankly desperate for workers. And so if you're a good candidate, they're a good candidate for you as an employer, and you're coming down to negotiations, ask for what you want because they probably will give it to you. I mean, obviously you need to be reasonable um, in your compensation and you know, what you expect for work-life balance or work from home or whatever. You've got to be reasonable within the context of the job and the company, but ask for it. Ask for more than you're, you're used to asking for. Um, I work with candidates all the time that I ask them for their salary requirement, and they're like, well, you know, you can't ask candidates anymore. What are you making? That's an illegal question, but you can ask, what are you looking for? Well, nine times out of 10, the candidate says, well, I'm currently making X. So I only need a bit of an increase from there. No, this is the time to get your increase. I used to tell people, if you're changing to a similar job, that you could expect a 10 to 15% increase. I am, for my candidates, I am trying to get them at least a 20% increase. So ask for what you want, you know, even if they can't meet all of it, maybe they'll get close. Yeah. So, and, and I would also be really clear with a potential employer about, you know, whether you have kids and you need to take them to softball practice or you're single and you need to go to yoga every day at lunch, you know, whatever it is that you need, ask for it because I think employers more and more are realizing they need to give their employees flexibility. And 
when I am negotiating offers for my candidates, the men always ask for more, always. And the women never do. So this is the time. Ask for more. You probably get it or get close to it. Amanda, that's music to my ears. I'm such an advocate for women asking for more because we often just don't. And I I know there's a lot of unconscious bias. I know there's a lot of structural um, things in place with business in general, um, a lot of lack of diversity and privilege, etc. However, I think there is a portion of the pay gap, aside from all those things, there is a portion of the pay gap that is our that is our responsibility because we're not asking early and often enough. And to your point, this is there is no better time to ask. I just had I just had a candidate going back to what you said earlier who did exactly what you said. They resigned, they came back to tell their boss and they literally got $50,000 more for doing exactly the same job. They didn't get promoted, but they decided to stay because that was really important to them. And now the employer is having to pay them $50,000 more, but they're, but they're there. Right. And so, and because they, they asked and they negotiated for themselves on the flip side, you know, you spoke about, it's a tough time to be an employer. It's a tough time to be a leader right now. Many of my listeners are leaders and they are scrambling for talent. What are some ways that leaders can make sure that they're connecting and they're making sure that their teams are engaged so people aren't leaving. So when I interview potential candidates, I mentioned earlier, all the candidates that I interview, I shouldn't say all, 99.99% of the candidates that I interview for my clients are employed, but they decided to have a phone call with me. So I can't say, why are you leaving your job? In most cases, they're not. But I can say, why did you decide to have this phone call with me? And usually they say something like, I I liked what you had to say. The opportunity sounded really good. And I'm working too much. My boss doesn't listen to me. My boss doesn't care about me. I'm disconnected from my employer in some way. I was working remotely during the pandemic and it went really well. Now my boss wants me back in the office all the time. My lifestyle has changed. Can't support that anymore. I'm worried about the future of the company because the boss doesn't listen. It's all, it's almost always something about the boss, mm-hmm. not listening, not caring, not being flexible. It's, I don't know that I've ever had someone say, you know, I don't like the software anymore. And so I'm going to leave. <laughs> people, people quit the company because of people. They don't quit the job. They quit the people. So going back to what we were talking about with half personality, cultural fit, That's really important because that's why people quit. So I think if you're an employer, I think learning to care or showing that you care is probably the most important thing you can do. Ask your employees, everyone, but particularly your highest performers, are you happy? Are you engaged? What's motivating you? And are you getting that here? And if not, how can I help motivate you more? Yes, you worked remotely during the pandemic. That's not practical for our business all the time. But if you want to do that on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, because I know you have X, Y, and Z personal commitments, I'm okay with that. You know, it's about listening to your employees, what they want and really caring and showing that you care. Mm -hmm. That, That is almost more important than money 
than anything else. I actually listened to a podcast, This American Life. I love that podcast. And they had interviewed a bunch of different employees that were working through the pandemic and what that was like for them. And there was this man that was working for McDonald's, which McDonald's are mostly franchised. The owner of his McDonald's stopped showing up when the pandemic started. So all the employees had to keep going into McDonald's, but the owner did not show up. That was not the thing that pushed this man over the edge. The thing that pushed this man over the edge, he said, I can understand him staying home. It was better for his life. He was more safe. He didn't really need to come in. But if he had come in once a quarter and sat down with us all and said, how are you guys doing? Are you hanging in there? Okay. Is there anything that I can do to help you? He said, if he had just had those kind of conversations with us, I would have happily stayed there. And by the way, this man had worked at this particular McDonald's for like 20 years. I mean, he was a long employee. All he wanted were, was for his boss to look him in the eye and say, I care, I'm here, I'm listening. Even if he couldn't have met his, right. his demands or requests, he would have known the guy cares about me. It's not just about the bottom line. And sure. because that man couldn't do that, he lost a 20-year employee. So care and listen. So important. So important. And it seems so simple, but yet sometimes as leaders, you get so busy in the day-to-day and achieving and the goals that you really forget the empathy and checking in on employees. I have a, a coaching client who happened to be single with no kids during the pandemic And she said that the reason why she was looking for a new job is because she would have one-on-ones with her boss and not once in a year and a half did her boss just say, how are you doing? How are you surviving the pandemic? Is there anything I can do to support you? And she ended up having depression and having a hard time. I don't think, you know, the boss was, had a family and kids and, you know, yes, the pandemic has been hard on all of us in different ways, but especially for those that haven't had family around and have been cooped up in their houses by themselves, for your boss not to ask one time, how are you? So simple and so tragic. I mean, Natalie, it shouldn't, that is horrible. It makes me ill, but it shouldn't take a pandemic for our bosses to ask us, how are you? You know, I I think whether there's a pandemic happening or everything's great and the world's going perfectly, nothing's ever perfect, but how hard is it to ask? How are you doing? How can I be supportive? I I completely agree. And and such a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it doesn't it shouldn't have to take a pandemic for for leaders to get to that point. Right. So, you know, there was just a, a US News World and Report article out that talked about flexibility and working from home. And it said that nearly half of all executives, 44% want to work from the office every day compared to 17% of employees. Obviously, there's a gap there. So leaders need to be listening and understanding the dynamics of what makes it okay. Like what, what makes you inspired to work at home versus coming to the office? What is the gap? How do we, how do we bridge the gap? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because as leaders, if we want to be in the office and we're just assuming that everyone else does, but we're not checking in with our staff, that's a huge communication gap right there. Right. <laughs> right? Um, people have liked the, liked the, the flexibility. So 
Um, I think what you say is so important, Amanda, around checking in, making sure that we're checking in on people as leaders. So, so vital. Any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners before we close out our conversation today? This is not the most poignant thing, but I did want to circle back to something you were talking about. Um, You said that women are less apt to apply for a job if say there's 10 requirements on that job posting and they only have eight. Yep. Do not do that. If you have eight, if you have five of the 10 requirements and it's a job that you're really excited about, apply. What I, what I mentioned is that I am teaching my clients to pick the five most important skill sets, make those be the requirement, and everything else is nice to have. So as long as I've been a recruiter, I've never worked with a company that's had 20 requirements and been able to find a candidate that has all 20 requirements. So if you have a significant amount of the requirements and it's a job that you're passionate about, don't not apply because you don't have all 10 things that they're asking for. So that's definitely something that's important. And then again, I think it's just people quit people. They don't quit jobs. And I think it's I think it's on the employer and the employee. I think we all need to really think about what are my values? What's important to me personally? How do I make my personal life and my professional life work together? And what does that look like? And get that down on paper before you send out one application or resume or update your LinkedIn or start networking with your friends. And you know, it could evolve over time. What you think when you start out on job search, what might be important might change. Something else might become more apparent. So it, it should be slightly fluid, but I think getting down to what is the most important to you before you begin that search. That's really key, whether you're an employee or an employer. Absolutely. Well, you all heard Amanda apply with 50% of the requirements. (laughs) I'm telling you, I know you said that's not very poignant, but that is a game changer for women. I see so many women holding themselves back because they're like, well, I only have nine of the 10. Men raise their hand and apply for internal promotions or external um, changes of positions when they have 30 to 40% of the, of the requirements. They're like, oh, I'll figure it out. And we just need to have that same kind of boldness and confidence in ourselves. So Amanda, such powerful advice. I'm so grateful you mentioned that and circled back to that. The show is all around turning insights into action. So any is there one insight from today that you would like my listeners to put into action this week or this month? You know, I think whether you're in transition or not, I think getting clear on what's important to you, I think it's a key to success and happiness. And so I think coming up with a list of five, these are the most important things that need to be in place for me to be happy at my job. And maybe you have that right now. Maybe you have a great job right now, but maybe something changes in in six months and, and that might prompt you to consider something else. Maybe you feel discouraged at your position or, you know, there's something that's sort of bothering you, but really when you sit down and put pen to paper about what are the five most important things, maybe you have them where you are and whatever this one little thing is, go talk to your boss and see if they'd be willing to give and take on that. Maybe there's some compromise to be made. So 
I mean, I know for myself a few years ago, I had a number of issues come up with clients and I really was flabbergasted. I was like, I don't know how this is happening. Why am I having these issues? These people seemed great from the start. And I spoke with a couple of coaches who I trust who said, why don't you sit down and come up with a list of the five most important things for you when you consider a new client? And I did. And then I went back and reviewed these clients that were causing me issues and they did not have all five of those things. Interesting. And so now, you know, when I'm looking at a client, it actually boils down to one thing, which is, is this a company I'd feel good about placing a friend? If the answer is no, I run the other way. (laughs) Um, you know, I just got really clear on that. What what was important to me in a client? But I think you can do it with with your job too. What is really important to me in my job? Do I have that now? And review that over and over and over as time goes on and make sure that you have it. And if you're considering a new opportunity, make sure that those things are non-negotiable, either heck yes or heck no, they're there or they're not. Absolutely. Amanda, I think that's such great advice. Thank you so much. And if there is an employer listening who is looking to hire great candidates or candidates listening who are looking for a heart-centered recruiter, how can they get in touch with you? I'm super active on LinkedIn. I post a couple of times a week. So I'm there. Amanda Scott, president of Solution Harbor. And then my website is solutionharbor.com. So happy to connect with any of your listeners. All right. And we will have your information in the show notes as well. So thank you, Amanda, for all of your insight and your wisdom and your heart. And I just love what you do. And I love, more importantly, the way you do it. So thank you um, for everything that you provide for both your candidates and your and your employers. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This is super fun. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.